Creativity can be super intimidating. It can be daunting, emotional, and quite frankly, really hard. It can also be the most beautiful and inspiring part of our creative process. For some, this comes really easy. And for others, it's a little bit more challenging. As we watch others create worlds and universes through creative outlets like video and photo and voice, many of us have a harder time translating our vision into that external product or idea. But that external product or idea is ultimately what will land in your customer's lap or hands or wallet. And it has never been more important in this content-first world to understand how to create. Christian Larson is an inherent storyteller. He started out as a film editor for brands and people like Christian Dior, Lady Gaga, and Taylor Swift. But over time, he felt like he had a universe and a narrative of his own that he wanted to create. But unlike many, he didn't have a product. So he started first and foremost with the story, with visual references shaping up a documentary-style world that he wanted to convey. He was inspired by cinema verite, not necessarily a product. And so he decided to embark on exploring an atmosphere, a feeling, and an emotion that he ultimately wanted to create. And that world created Stockholm-based label CDLP, which is shaking up the world of men's underwear. So today we talk to the founder of CDLP, Christian, the ultimate creative, on how shaping a narrative is critical to building a brand and how you don't have to have an idea or investors or a product. You really just have to have a why and lots of time. Well, Christian, welcome to the Fahrenheit podcast. Very excited to have you on today. I know that you have been inspiring our team behind the scenes in prep for this convo. And I really wanted to dive right in with a question. What is more important, the story or the product? Equally important. Absolutely. You can't build a brand without having a fantastic product. And you can't sell a great product without a good brand. It's interesting because I think most of the time when I've thought through or I've uncovered stories around founders or how they built something... It's normally the product first or the problem they want to solve. But in your case with CDLP, it was the narrative. Talk to me a little bit about how this narrative came to fruition and became ultimately a product. My background as a filmmaker and photographer, I've always worked with brands, either it being artists or fashion brands or a film. It's always about creating a narrative. But When it comes to creating a brand, I've always been drawn to creating these worlds and uh, making them desirable, like you want to be a part of them and uh, making them interesting and entertaining. That's my kind of starting point of CDLP too, that I wanted to be in a narrative and and that you could put whatever, (laughs) kind of whatever in that universe to make it desirable and, and engaging. When you're creating a narrative like you do for CDLP, how do you find the people who want to be a part of it? Which is sort of the beginning of community building is finding and seeking that tribe. So how did you approach that in creating this narrative? Like, who was it for? I think me and my co-founder, Andreas, we really had ourselves as a starting point. We didn't go out to grab on to a certain community or, or tribe or a specific person and coming back to why, why I think that the, the brand is so important is that if you rewind a couple of years, there's all these 
D2C brands and they they start with a product and many times they also name the company the product <laughs> and they name the brand the product and it's all about that product or it's really to you know to tap into a very very defined category of people but for us it was really about grounding it in ourselves as people as friends as men and creating a universe that was desirable for us that's really how how we we started you're sort of this ultimate jack-of-all-trades storyteller, and you've used your skills, again, whether it's film or photography or creative direction for your brand. How does somebody begin to craft a really visceral narrative? Where do you start? You start with an emotion. I think a, a, a great brand or a great film or, or whatever it may be, or a great photo series, it has to start with an emotion that you want to communicate. That emotion is, is really, really tangible and you really need to develop that emotion and then you need to be consistent with that emotion. I really think of, of our brand as a, as a person or as a movie, <laughs> like a continuous person with a, a, a continuous narrative or I like to look at it as a, as a movie with different chapters, but it, it has to have a soul. I guess one of my favorite movies is... Um, Sorry for being cliche, but uh, Lost in Translation is this movie I come back to. And it's, it's a universe, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. I, and you just want to come back to that movie. Not necessarily to just see the story again, but obviously the characters are great. But it's a feeling, it's an emotion that you want to just step into that world and be a part of it for a while. That's how a great brand develops. And, and if they are consistent with that emotion... It will build, it will grow, and it will attract people to, to be drawn to it. Do you remember what Bill Murray whispered to Scarlett Johansson in the end of the movie? Well, wasn't that a secret? You never heard it. You never heard <laughs> exactly. it, right? Is it? Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's like, what? Like, are you, yeah, it was a trick <laughs> question. Yeah, it was a fantastic ending, I must say. I was like, shit, I see, are you calling me out on that one? It's really interesting. A couple of things that you said. The first, so one of my favorite movies, also not to be cliche, is True Romance. Anything Quentin Tarantino. And I think that one of the reasons I am so drawn to it and the emotion that I really resonate with is sort of this like grit. And I think about the brands that I really am drawn to or that I connect with. And it's often ones that have a little bit of that like hardcore hustle, hard work, grit energy. Do you think that being a filmmaker allowed you to look at this idea and this world of emotion as it relates to a brand differently? Like, did it give you an edge? I hope so. I really think so. But if you don't have the experience of telling a story and if you haven't been pushed to tell a story or to make meaning of something that you do, you know, when you're a filmmaker and you, you know, create a music video or a commercial or a short film, you have to push yourself all the time. Like, what does this mean? What am I trying to say here with this chapter, with this character? What is the personality? What is the traits? What is the, you know, you really have to push yourself. And I guess I'm not slagging off other brands, but, but many times I feel like it's, they're winging it <laughs> in a way that, you know, we, we do it a bit like they do it, or, you know, we, maybe this is an idea to, to try out for a second. And then we switch to something else. And I guess that's, that's one way of doing it. But, you know, it all stems back to what do you want to do with your brand? You know, are you are you just trying to create growth with throwing out discount codes to influencers uh, and, you know, maybe have a <laughs> aggressive trajectory and and sell and get rich? I mean, that's one way of doing it. Or you want to create something that will be long lasting, timeless, be around for a long time and and create, I guess, a loyalty from people to follow it and be engaged in it. 
So for me as a filmmaker, I, I really think that we do have an edge because we, we have always been pushed to care about the story and to really make sense of it. We're forced to have meaning with a scene or with, with, with an image or with a, a character. The other version is to not care about that and to just go left and right. And we try this campaign here. Or we do it a bit like that other brand do it, or we throw out, you know, discount codes to influencers. And that's one way of doing it. I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's all about what your intention is. The other way of doing it is to, I guess, to find a meaning. And if you want to build a brand that is uh, long-term, everlasting, timeless, that will be around for a long time, you have to consider other things. And for me, the narrative, the story, and, and especially the emotion, it's everything. It just reminded me a bit in your explanation of luxury brands, the old way of building luxury brands, where it feels like there is first and foremost meaning and emotion, but there's also time. I remember when I worked in fashion many years ago, we had so much time for creativity and exploration, and it was super nuanced. Whereas today, in the world of startups, in the world of direct-to-consumer brands, it is a race to growth. How do you guys balance the dream of what you just said, which sounds so wonderful, of creating meaning in something timeless with also having to grow a successful, viable business? That's really hard. And I, <laughs> I think in, in our case, it has taken longer. And I'm really happy you, you brought up this thing about time because... For me, that's a factor that a lot of brands and, and startups, and they don't consider time being an important element to the equation. They say, you know, like we need to put this brand on steroids and, and buy traffic and, and, and do all these things. And I get that. But when it comes to building a long lasting brand, people forget that one of the key factors is time. It takes time and it takes time for a various range of re reasons. And one is that a luxury brand, you can't force onto people. You can't push it towards a customer. They need to discover it. They need to hear about it. Like a movie is released, you know, you, you, you see a trailer, you get curious or you hear it from a friend and, and you want to, you know, explore it. That's how you need to think about if you want to create a timeless, long-lasting brand. So time is so devalued in creating brands nowadays. What mistakes are you seeing brands making today in how they're building their narrative? Those are the biggest mistakes. I think one is to not care about the brand. And I think the, the kind of first mistake people do is to name their brand something that is too close to the product. So you kind of rule out an evolution of your brand. And people call, thing, call their brands the organic brand X or, or whatever. And that is something that has been around now to, to work with sustainability for a couple of years. And that's great that you call it that, but that's going to run out of time. The way I have reasons to, reasoned in, in creating CDLP is, is that responsibility, that's, that's something that is part of our generation. It's a given. People will not accept anything else in the future. So that's baseline. We don't need to, to push that into people's faces. People will discover that and people will appreciate it. But that's not something that you can put at the top of the pyramid. Name is one thing. And then I think consistency, you know, to really spend time on deciding what emotion are we trying to create here? First, you need to find it, but then you need to also be consistent with it. And I see so many brands, they go left and they, they go right. They do one collab with this person and they, they, then they go to another influencer and then they 
you know, do three sales in a row. You know, you can't do that if you want to really create a brand long term. You need to be extremely consistent. You just gave me like marketer anxiety from what you just said. And I think it's so true because I think what's often misunderstood about brand building, which is really what we're talking about, is that within consistency and within singularity, you don't have freedom. You can do all of those things. You can have activity as a brand. But I think the most powerful brands, the most poignant brands are the ones that are consistent and singular. And I actually think it is the hardest thing, especially in today's multi-dimensional world for us to do. It's extremely hard. And also the pace of having to deliver content <laughs> nonstop. It's never ending. It's the biggest challenge I, I face with our brand all the time. Yeah, totally. As a narrative builder, as a storyteller, once you have that emotion, once you have that through line, how do you create diversity within that consistency? How do you keep things fresh and new? And this could apply to both the work as a filmmaker and also as a founder, how do you apply that excitement and newness to that singular idea? Well, that's tricky. I think in our case, it's really to be personal. And, you know, we grow as people, we have different interests. We like yellow and then we like blue, <laughs> but we're still the same person. You have to think of it like that. Just because you've come to a decision that this is this is our brand. We only do things in, in marble. <laughs> Everything has to be marble. Then, um, you know, you've, you've, you've created a framework that you're not going to be able to get out of. That's kind of tapping into this sustainability communication that is on so many brands, top of the pyramid in, in the way they communicate. So you can't paint, your, paint yourself into that corner. You need to think of it as you're a person and, and, you know, I like this and then I like that. And then I'm inspired by that. And then I venture out into new worlds. So yeah, the consistency is really connected to allowing yourself to reinvent and to explore. There's so much psychology in marketing and in branding, in both acting and in film, for you to put yourself into the shoes of others, understand the psychology of how that character or that person might think, it's incredibly draining. It's incredibly emotional. You have to have a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion and curiosity. Never in a million years did I think that the work that I did at Tisch in school would apply so readily to what I do as a marketer. But I think what I uncovered and the number one skill that I learned was awareness. Because to react to someone in acting, let's say, to react to someone's emotion, you have to understand that emotion. You have to say, I can really wrap my head around what this person is feeling. And I think that in some ways, marketing and branding is no different. If you're trying to solve a problem for a consumer, you're trying to understand how they feel about that problem. You're trying to create the solution that's going to change some emotion within them. One of the ways I think about marketing in terms of like the value that I add to the world is whether it's bringing somebody a solution, whether it's changing their life for the better, whether it's just bringing them momentary joy. At the end of the day, you are creating and you are changing an emotion within your audience and in your consumer. You obviously think about the emotion of the narrative. Do you think about the reaction that your product or your experiences create for your consumer too? Yeah, you have to respect that. But this comes back to the decision. What kind of brand do you want to create? Do you want to create a brand that is very product oriented and you want to solve problems for the customer that you have? Or are you creating a brand that you allow people to be a part of? Don't get me wrong, we sell things. We, <laughs> we do products and we try to do the best product possible. But 
when it comes to marketing, marketing easily becomes selling, right? And when you're trying to sell something really, really bad and trying to do all the analysis of how are we communicating that we're solving a problem for the customer. Already there in my book, you're you're out in, in a little bit of a dangerous area, but this is all depending on what kind of brand and what kind of company you're building. But in an ideal world, you shouldn't sell. You should, you should present your product with an emotion and that itself has to be desirable. Then all the other things will solve itself. Do you think that having this understanding of human character helps you not only create the narrative for your customer and for your brand, but also as a leader? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. We just had a big staff conference with talking about all these things. What'd you guys talk about? Well, first of all, I have spent the last year with our uh, art director really trying to define our brand because it's all been within me and within Andreas. And now comes a point where we are, you know, 35 people plus, and you need to have that emotion to be created by all these other people. So you need to define it and you really need to put it down on, on paper and, and yeah. you know, give people the framework. That's extremely hard. But I think that we did a really good job. But the other side of this big um, meeting that we have was to discuss how do we then translate that into the organization? Am I the best leader of all? No, <laughs> but I really try. I really care about people engaging in the brand. And I think a brand book, a manual of the brand that you set a framework for what are we, how do we say things? How do we shoot a picture? How do we choose what picture that is our picture and not someone, another brand's picture? All these rules that you create in the narrative actually also translates to the organization. For example, our, I really try to make sure that our communication is purposeful and we, we define our product as being essentials, luxury essentials. Everything that we do with the product needs to be purposeful. So the product needs to have a purpose and then the way we communicate around it needs to be purposeful. The image needs to have a clear purpose. When you translate that over to the organization, it's the same thing. Like we all that work with this need to think about the purpose. Why are we doing this? What's the reasoning behind it? It's kind of funny having it fresh in my, my mind that whatever rules that you create for the brand, for the emotion, for the narrative is very, very applicable to your organization as well. So I think that there's a lot of crossovers there when it comes to building your organization and building your culture and building your manual for what company you are and how you speak about it. I really believe that brand is built first and foremost internally. To what you just said, you could have this really incredible visceral external vision for a brand. And if there is a really massive gap between what you are living and breathing internally and what you're living and breathing externally, I believe it's like a ticking time bomb. At mm. some point, something will crumble or fail. Maybe also I'm just not that inauthentic and could never live in that world. Like it would probably kill me every day. But I think over the last really 10 years, the way that we connect with and talk to our consumers, the amount of information they readily have about us, you as a founder, you as a filmmaker, your brand, your product, you have no choice but to try and connect the dots and I think mm. bridge the gap. One of the things that I am constantly like baffled by is when people look at me like what I do is, is rocket science. 
where their brain works in a way that is just so uncreative that they think that what I do is hard. And as a leader, as your company expands, what you have to recognize is like, not everyone sees the world the way you do. Not everyone is going to have this inherent ability to create, to narrate, to illustrate a brand. And then how you bring everyone, all 35 of you for us at Fahrenheit, we're 20, how you bring everybody along for the ride and really get them to see that world is really challenging and hard, but I believe it is fundamental. And I think that the best in class brands are the ones, you know, I bring up Nike all the time. I had the opportunity to go to the Nike offices for two or three days years ago. And it's like a walking ad, the way people talk, what they're wearing, how they act, the choices they make, the language they use. It is like the best in class example of brands being like a living, breathing environment and the external world that you then create matches that, that internal world. Absolutely agree. Yeah, totally. Have you been surprised at where moments are really easy or where moments are hard in being a founder, which is new for you relative to what you were doing in the past? Yeah, I guess it's exactly what you're touching upon here as to when you're small, it's my personal opinion about things and it's my style or, or you know, my, my approach to things that is what comes out. And then you, as you grow, it can't just be me and my co-founder. It needs to be distributed into all these people. And my best recommendation or rule is that you need to spend an extreme amount of time to define these rules and to say what you are and also what you're not. <laughs> That's like almost even more important. What are you not? Otherwise, people will always start to say, hey, I saw that brand doing this thing. We should do that too. It's like, no, that's not how we do it. We need to start the conversation. How, you know, what, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And then what's in our culture to do things like that? And that if you have those rules set, if you have the framework defined, such as your example with Nike, it will spread. It will spread organically into the culture. And then when you see communication ads, films, creativity, collabs, it's going to come natural. People speak the same language and it's going to, it's just going to run like a river out in every little channel of communication. And that's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. And I think it's the starting point and the foundation of a really good brand. You're a natural born content creator. So for you, everything from creative direction to content creation comes naturally. And I would assume is like part of what you do every day. How do you keep up with the pace of storytelling and content creation to what we talked about earlier? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard because it's, um, you know, you can't do enough content whatsoever. Literally, you cannot create <laughs> enough. <laughs> it doesn't stop. And believe me, it's, uh, it's extremely frustrating. I guess you need to have a team that is just extremely creative and you also need to be able to create within your framework of your brand and your universe, but using simple tools. So, you know, I, I came from being in uh, advertising, shooting quite big campaigns for massive brands with big budgets, you know, hundred people on set, hiring the best uh, directors of photography and the best set designers and all these things. And you can rely on that. You can rely on that. You can, you know, ensure that you create quality by having a big team contributing yeah. to it. But when you have a brand nowadays, and actually it doesn't really matter how big or small you are, you need to be able to tell your story with extremely 
simple tools. And I think that's the, that's the key in order to keep up. If you're only thinking about every big campaign as a big campaign and, you know, that needs a massive shoot and stuff. And especially in luxury, that's a challenge, you know, because things cost money to make beautiful. But it's equally important for, for the luxury brands that you need to be able to create easily. And, and here's another reflection on that. I also think that content that feels organic, personal, and a bit lo-fi is also what people now respond to. I mean, it's been like that for a few years. And then as a luxury brand or aspiring luxury brand, you need to translate that. So, you know, we can't just shoot an ugly image. We need to, we need to shoot it beautifully, but we also need to have a way of speaking directly and personal and simple. That's really challenging. But if you manage to do that, that's what makes it possible to keep up with the um, constant flow of content that you need to create. In my mind, I always think about the sliding scale of content, which is yeah. like, where in your scale do you have, let's say your hero campaign? And by the way, why does it warrant a hero campaign? Like, what is the reason that I need to apply budget or resources to create that thing? But then there's shooting on my iPhone in the morning. And why am I creating through that lens here? And how do you connect those dots? What is the emotional territory? What is the visual identity? What is the world that I'm trying to create regardless of that really resource allocation in some capacity to build the brand and build the story? You're completely right here and stems back to what we talked about, the identity, the soul of the brand. It needs to be able to speak in different ways in different channels you know sometimes you're speaking through a very expensive camera but sometimes you're speaking through through a phone and you're probably speaking more through the phone than the very expensive camera so you need to be very sure and confident about what your language and what your soul is so it shines through all these different lenses absolutely 100 percent. one of the things that you guys are known for is interesting casting and when you're creating this narrative, you guys look to different types of people to help tell that story. Talk to me a little bit about the choices you guys make in casting and why it's unique. <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, it's completely a resource question from the beginning. We started with nothing I, and I picked up my camera and, uh, you know, it's not every, we can't just hire models. So I just pointed it at my friends. I was happy to have uh, a few really good looking ones, I suppose. And, and now we're kind of out of friends. <laughs> you <know>? Right. <laughs> but, You've but, run the uh, course. <laughs> we've run the course. No, but the thing is, like, we started with that. And I think that's what made it very honest and personal. And I think that's what made it resonate with people, that it was our friends, that it was a private space. The way I set up our shoots was not to say, okay, here's the mood board. Here's where we're going to shoot. We need to find a location and we need to go there and we need to book catering and, you know, lights and where's my assistance and all that. We just flipped it and we said, here's our group of friends, me and Andreas and, and two or three more. And then we'll just like, where do we want to go? Oh, we want to go there on a trip or we want to, you know, be in a certain environment. And then we set up a scene that is very organic and then I shoot or rather I document that scene. I, I, I did a lot of documentary filmmaking earlier, so I love cinema verite, which is just, you know, being the fly on the wall 
And I think that's when you manage to, to capture the best things because they are organic and, and real. But then you also need to add style to that or an aesthetic to that. So I guess that's the next barrier. You can set up the scene, but then you also need to have a stylistic vision or, or a style that you need to or that you want to achieve. But if you can combine those two, um, I, I think that's that's what we managed to do. And I'm proud to say that there are our friends supermodels on their in their spare time you know like a guy that i've shot a lot is my best friend since childhood and he's a lawyer <laughs> and uh, you know in that some meetings people are like hey do you did i see you in your in, in your underwear like this morning on a <laughs> but i you know, i really like that but then we have obviously developed and we've shot celebrities and stuff but the method is the same. I really try to become friends with who I'm shooting and then setting it up in the same in the same way. And I really want to keep that personal touch to everything that we do. As soon as it becomes a, a setup thing, then then it's another brand. It's not us. One of the best things I think to come out of this quantity of content that is needed is that all the barriers have been broken and all the rules have gone out the window. And I would also say during COVID, it went even further because we were shooting via Zoom. People were using their iPhone to shoot editorials. I mean, the whole world sort of unlocked. And I think what's so fascinating about it is if you allow yourself to remove all the rules that you know about content creation or creative and instead say, what's the story I want to tell and what's the best way I can do that, it actually helps to point you in that direction of authenticity as a brand. Even if you had had all the budgets and all of the money in the world to shoot, it probably wouldn't have been as honest and true for you had it not been you and your friends thinking about where this character would want to go and how this character would want to look. And so I find it really... I actually think it's like a case study in how to begin really building an authentic, true voice, which is don't try to do what everybody else is doing. Look around you at the resources, the relationships, the creativity that you already inherently have and start to build from there. Yeah, you're on to something here. And I think that's a very good lesson that everyone has learned from, from COVID that being restricted is what fuels creativity. To have unlimited resources is not what's going to create something that is extraordinary just because you have all the all the resources in the world. It is to have barriers. There was a musician that I and an electronic musician from Sweden. I I always remember that like he he did the best electronic music, and I was very into music making and. And I was a bit of a tech geek. And I was like, what, what software is he using? What synthesizers is he using? And, and I, was, was, I was so fascinated about what, what the sounds, where they came from and how they were treated. Then I read an interview with him and he said, I, I use this, you know, this old software called Cubase. It's not even around anymore. It's, there's no upgrades available and I can't install any, any of the new plugs into it. And I thought that was so refreshing, you know, to just put a limit on to what you have in your toolbox. That's what's going to fuel your creativity. And I think that applied to, to me and to us as well. It's just was like that, you know, we didn't have resources. So I had to pick up the camera. And I, I, as I said, I came from having budgets in my shoots, but here I didn't. So I had to just pick up my camera and Andreas carried the batteries and helped me change the film as we shoot everything analog. And, and you know, we didn't have to, we didn't have time to do it like a test shoot of the roles. So I lost so many roles that just didn't expose, you know, but having those 
limitations just forces you into this corner and you can't cheat. You can't rely on anything else but your ideas and it just filters out any, uh, the best the best of your creativity when you are pushed like that. So yeah, I, and, and frankly, looking at the big luxury brands that have had this unlimited resources, big campaigns, and they've relied on that for so long. And all of a sudden, I think, like when you see the fashion shows now from, from in the last year, you know, they just used to be all these big shows in Paris and they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, Karl Lagerfeld rebuilt all of Paris <laughs> by the end of it. But then in the last year, people like, hey, what, what about if we go out on the field? What, what if we do this? Where, what about if we, you know, stay in one house or all these ideas? And I, I, I think that's, that's a result of being um, channeled into coming up with new ideas. So I think it's, uh, it's been a great year for creativity. For someone who feels creatively challenged and is having a hard time sort of creating that universe and that lane for them, what's some advice that you would give them on how to go back to basics and like really develop their own ideas? Going back to what your original craft was. I started with, with the film editing and that's where I have done the best create, creative projects and film editing is like still, it's still who I identify myself with. Like I'm, I'm a film editor actually at, at, at heart. And when we didn't have resources to shoot big things, I took the material into my film editing and then I could add my soul to it, my, my craft. So whatever your craft is, I think you've got to just come back to it and then use that as your source of inspiration to as a starting point. And then when it came to CDLP specifically, it was really about, I hadn't really explored my, my still photography skills. I kind of winged it a bit, but here I had a, I was forced to like, okay, one camera, five film rolls, not 10. And then what can I do with that? You know? So I think it's really about challenging yourself to get rid of all, all the resources, focusing on what your original craft is and, and start from there. I think the idea of balancing this need and this desire for growth with creativity is an important one because fundamentally, if you build something authentic, if you build something individual, targeted, personal, visceral, you're actually going to find success. And I think it's sort of like the shortcut versus the long game. And I actually say this a lot which is not where I thought this conversation would take us, I have to say. But I think about this a lot, which is brand is a marathon and marketing is a sprint. And I believe you have to separate the two. And I think we look at them as one in the same. Brand building is a long, arduous journey. It is not easy. It is really hard and it is emotional. Marketing, there is a place for it. And there is a place for understanding the mechanics that are going to drive acquisition and growth. But I think brand building is a completely different activity. And it is one that really does take time. So I feel like this was such a good reminder of the power of taking that pause, really giving time and creativity to the thing that matters most, which at the end of the day is really your idea, what you want to bring to the world and the why. No, I, I really like what you said there. And it's coming back to our conversation in the beginning about time being such an essential part of building a brand. So now in the last few years with all the D2C brands having started, I have, it's full in my feet. I can't, you know, I just yeah. scroll and scroll you and scroll. You can't get away. Yeah. I can't get away. No, no, but it's, it's lovely that everyone tries to do so 
uh, you know, so many new things, but, you know, it's full. And, you know, these guys do the best hats they claim and the next one do the best, uh, you know, pepper grinder and the next one do the, you know, the very product focused DTC brands. And the, it's just an endless range of them. So the only thing that we can compete with now is brand marketing. You're, you're kind of screwed because you, it's full the, everyone's attention span is so short and if it's only a marketing message, you're, it's, you're not going to respond to it. But if you focus on building a brand, if you have authenticity that you talk about so well, if there is a soul, if there is a meaning and a purpose, and you allow that to take some time, then you have a competitive advantage to the others. Because if you just push for growth, you're going to lose all that authenticity. That's for me also what the new generation of luxury is all about. I'm really interested and fascinated by the old, the, the old luxury houses, the heritage brands, and there are not too many of them. There, you know, there's ten of them, <laughs> uh, ranging from, you know, and there most of them are out of Paris. But luxury, luxury used to be about the best craft and the best quality. So if you bought Louis Vuitton bags, you bought them because they were the best in quality and they were they had the best craft. And you paid the price for that. And that was luxury. And then I feel in the last 20 years, it's been about status. You know, you pay a premium for a T-shirt that is made in the same manufacturer that Zara or H&M produce. Maybe I, I'm not 100% sure, but then you pay the premium for the big logo type, right? So luxury has been about status. Now, I think that luxury is changing. And I, I love to talk about the new generation of luxury or young luxury. I love young luxury. Young luxury is the new generation that don't, they won't pay a premium, but they like quality and craft. <laughs> and, and here we're onto something here where people start to appreciate quality and craft and they want to be part of that story. So if you manage to do that, then you're going to stand out in this noise of endless marketing messages. And that's for me is, is, is young luxury. And young luxury also includes sustainability or res responsibility that I try to talk about in, in our company, because it's not about just changing a fabric from cotton to a better version of it. It's about taking responsibility about, you know, for everything that you do. Um, what's the reason that you sell a product? How do you create it? How, where does it come from? How do you ship it? What's your values in your company? And that's part of the young luxury brands. That's part of the new generation. They, they won't accept if it isn't created with purpose and responsibility. And all these things together is, I think, you know, things that you have to think about really carefully. And if you if you do it well, um, and if you allow that factor that you that you said time, then I think you're you're the winner. It's time and it's intention. And I think what you just talked about is a luxury in the sense that being able to look across your business at the narrative and what you are actually doing from your supply chain to your sourcing to your sustainability to your story to how you connect with your consumers to the quality, that is a luxury. And I think that we have so much information and so much opportunity today. And there is, to your point, a new view of luxury that has made us rethink what that word even means to say, you know what, I don't need necessarily the status. And I would also argue that maybe there's a little bit of culture too. I think that today the luxury brands, both the new luxury and old, 
it was, yes, quality and status, but I also think there is a cultural lens that I think a lot of these brands have started to take going back to the narrative and tapping into a community. And so I think at the end of the day, being able to be thoughtful, intentional, understand your why, and then create a level of communication around those things to your audience, I think that's what wins. What's your favorite brands now then? Who do you look to? Who do you think are doing great things right now? I've been more and more impressed by some of the, since we're on the topic, by some of the big luxury brands and luxury houses. I think I've seen something different coming out of a lot of them than I had in the past. I think a brand like Giacomo did an amazing job of coming out into the world with a really unique point of view. Whether I like that point of view or I want to buy the product is irrelevant to me. But I think that when you can see something and one, it feels new and fresh and two, it feels unique to that name or to that brand, they're onto something. I would also say more in the world of direct-to-consumer brands, there's this brand called Kinuphorics that came out. They're a non-alcoholic beverage company, but the creative is so unique. It has such a proposition. It is so consistent. Every time they roll out a new product, I am so impressed with how much it connects. And there's this 70s vibe that the brands just got going that makes me want to be wherever they are. I actually think there's a lot of really interesting things happening in the world of brand building, more on the product and the creative side than on the social side. I think brands today are having a hard time figuring out how to communicate with all of the content, with all of the sort of challenge of growth. I actually think what's going to be cool is to see the brands that like, similar to I think you're talking about, take a little bit of a step back and say, we don't need to play that game. We don't need to fight that fight. We're just going to do our thing. And like, if you want to be a part of our tribe, come hang. Personally, if I was building a brand today, which, you know, who knows, I might, I think I would hopefully have the luxury to take that approach. Mm. And I think part of it's because for 15 years, I've been in the rat race of growth, 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 drive, drive, drive. And part of that is how you structure your brand and your business. Part of that is what you said, which is what your intention is. Like, if you don't want to build a real community or an authentic story or really engaged audience, you just want to drive sales, by all means, I wish I was you. That sounds nice, <laughs> but I'm just not that person. I think why I do what I do is to create stories and to tell them and hopefully to bring joy or support or great food, whatever it is, to an audience that's looking for it. But I love that you, the two brands that you mentioned, they... They have a soul, right? You talked about this 70s brand, uh, 70s vibe that they got going on and how it's appealing to you and it's desirability. You want to be part of the universe. You hardly mentioned the product, you know? Totally. <laughs> you want to be, yeah. you want to tap into that world. You want to be a part of that movie. You want to, yeah, you I want, want them to like it. sponsor my birthday party, you know? Like whatever world yeah. that is, sign me up. I'm in. And I think that that's very similar to what you guys are trying to create. Although I will say, right before I went on the podcast, my best friend, Philippe, who's the chief digital officer at Carriuma, texted me and said, oh, absolutely the best underwear on the planet. So not, <laughs> not only are you creating a narrative in a world that people want to be a part of, but you're also creating a great product. And I think it's when those two things come together that you really find success. Absolutely. I mean, the product has to be amazing. And if you're not reinventing something into something better, you're going to have a hard time building a brand around it. That's for sure. But I, I really enjoy hearing you talk about these two brands. This is brands that do something that is authentic and I feel like they have a soul. So authenticity is really what it's all about and, and it takes time to build. Yeah, it does. I'm very excited to watch you build 
and watch you guys continue to grow. I think I was very inspired as I was preparing for this and just seeing all of the, it, it honestly made me want to lean into my creativity more and I think find the time to do so. And so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really loved the convo and can't wait to see what you guys do next. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so nice to speak to you. 